Happy Easter, Christ Community Church. So good to see you guys and to know that we're being joined by our other campuses. So I want to greet them. And as I greet your campus, you're going to cheer at your campus. But here in St. Charles, we're going to cheer for every campus, okay? So let's give it up for DeKalb Campus. Good to see you guys. Whoa. And Streamwood Bartlett. Yeah. Blackberry Creek. And St. Charles. <laughs> Pray with me. We're going to ask God to be our teacher from his holy word. Uh, God, we've heard this story before. Uh, some of us believe it, believe it. Some of us don't. Uh, some of us who believe it, it's really not impacting our lives in the way you want it to. So I pray that you'd make it fresh. I pray that your spirit would speak to every one of us. Open uh, closed ears. Uh, God, hearts that are hard, soften them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some years ago, I made a new friend from Romania. His name was, uh, was Leviu. Uh, when, it, when he first told me his name, I had a hard time remembering it. First Leviu I'd ever met, though Leviu is a common name in Romania. He had emigrated to the United States, married an American girl, started coming to Christ Community Church. And I remember uh, introducing him to my mom and dad, and they had a hard time remembering his name, Leviu, as, as well. And that led to a rather amusing incident a week or two later. Uh, my mom was sunbathing at a local public pool, and who should arrive and park on some chairs, uh, some deck chairs about 20 feet away, but leave you and his wife. So my mom looks over and she sees him, but she can't remember his name. She recognizes him, but she can't remember leave you. So she decides to kind of mumble a name, what she can recall in his direction. You ever do this? You learn somebody's name, but the next time you see him, you're not sure you got it right, so you don't want to say it boldly in case you're wrong. So you kind of mumble it. So this is the name she mumbled in leave you's direction. She leaned toward him and she sort of half whispered, leave me. Leave me. It, no response, so she tried it again. Leave me. And by now he realized someone was trying to get his attention, and he turned, and here's this elderly sunbather trying to tell him to get lost. You know, leave me. Leave me. And fortunately he recognized her as my mom, and he said, no, it's leave you, not leave me. Okay? Names. Names. People's names are really important. And today we're going to take a look at an incident that took place the very first Easter, uh, just after Jesus rose from the dead, he called somebody by name, and it forever changed her life. By the time we're done studying the story today, I hope you'll understand that Jesus knows your name, and I hope that'll change your life. So if you brought a Bible, would you turn with me to John chapter 20? John chapter 20, it's in the second half of your Bible, the New Testament. It's one of four biographies of Jesus. And I want to give you some background to the story. It, it focuses on a woman named Mary Magdalene. Uh, Mary Magdalene was one of Jesus' earliest followers, faithful follower. In fact, Mary Magdalene uh, was one of those people who had stood at the foot of Jesus' cross and watched him die. And then, and then she stood there long enough to see him taken down from the cross, and she followed the entourage that took him to a tomb and laid him in a tomb. And then the first Easter, before the sun came up, Mary and a few of her female buds went to Jesus' tomb with spices to anoint his body. 
Now, some skeptics of Christianity who question the Bible's historical accuracy, uh, they're quick to point out that John 20, the passage we're about to look at, it doesn't mention Mary's friends. And they say, well, you know, the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the other biographies of Jesus, they all say Mary arrived at the tomb with female friends. John doesn't say that, so obviously we have a discrepancy here, the skeptics say, uh, just another reason you can't trust the Bible. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. See, the fact of the matter is, John never says that Mary was absolutely alone. His point in not mentioning the other women is because John had a way of always focusing on Jesus' encounters with individuals, one-on-one, up close and personal. If you read his gospel, you'll see him do this again and again. He meets one-on-one in the evening with a Pharisee, a religious leader named Nicodemus. You know, on another occasion, he stops by the side of a well all by himself, and there's a woman drawing water there, and they engage in a lengthy conversation. There's a paralytic, a guy paralyzed since birth, and Jesus engages him in dialogue for some time before healing him. Martha, sister to a guy named Lazarus who dies, and Jesus raises from the dead. Before Jesus performs that miracle, he has an extended conversation with Martha. Even in crowds, Jesus had a way of singling people out and zeroing in on them. And today we're going to see how Jesus zeroed in on Mary and how he wants to do that with you and and with me. You know, Jesus knew Mary by name, and he knows us by name and desires a close, personal relationship with each of us. Now, there are four aspects of Mary's relationship with Jesus that are alluded to in the John 20 Easter story, and and I hope and pray that these four aspects will be true of your relationship with Christ as well. So here's number one. By the way, there's an outline in your program, so if you want to jot down some notes as we go, Uh, There's a Bible app, Christ Community Bible app, that also has the outline for today's sermon on it. So, four aspects of Mary's relationship with Jesus. First, Jesus was Mary's rescuer. My rescuer is how she looked at Jesus. And I want to read some of the story to you, beginning at verse 1 of John chapter 20. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Now drop down to verse 11, that's where we pick up the Mary episode again. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. We'll stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Now, John began his account of that first Easter morning, look at verse 1, by telling us that Mary arrived at Jesus' tomb while it was still dark. Now, now, literally speaking, it was dark. I mean, she had arrived before the sun came up, before dawn. But John's probably using this phrase, still dark, uh, metaphorically. He loves to paint word pictures. You know, John's, one of John's favorite word pictures is the cosmic battle between darkness and light. And so what he's telling us here is that as Mary approaches Jesus' tomb, it's not only dark outside, 
it's also dark inside. It's dark inside Mary. In other words, Mary is struggling with fear and confusion and despair. Her best friend has been executed, and now, now his body has been stolen. Has stolen. That's probably what she means when she tells Peter and John, verse 2, they've taken his body, and I don't know where they've put him. Grave robbery was so common in the first century that the Roman emperor finally passed a law making it punishable by death. If you're caught robbing a grave, you're going to die. So life was dark for Mary. You know, it, it hadn't been this dark for her since the days before she had first encountered Christ, before he had first rescued her. Now, we don't know a lot about Mary's story. Not a lot, a lot of details are given us in the biblical account. We read in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, that when Jesus first met her, her life was a train wreck. That Jesus cast seven demons out of her. So spiritually speaking, she was destitute to the extreme. And that sort of demonization probably involved mental derangement, physical brokenness as well. Personal darkness. Just a side note here, if you, you've ever seen the 1970s rock opera Jesus Christ Superstar... They portray Mary, Mary Magdalene, as a former prostitute who had conflicted feelings about Jesus. Nothing about that in the Bible, okay? That's totally made up. However, however, Mary's dark days before Jesus showed up, her former demonization was plenty bad enough. When Jesus rescued Mary, the sun broke through her gloom. Mary was a new woman, a free woman. The light dispelled the darkness. Jesus rescued her. Have you, have you ever experienced Jesus' rescue in your life? Now, we, we hear a lot of rescue stories around Christ Community Church. People who surrender their lives to Jesus and uh, then they're set free from drug or alcohol addiction. People who surrender to Jesus and he puts their marriage back together. Or he frees them from anger or anxiety or depression or financial woes or just gross self-centeredness. Now, not, not everybody who surrenders to Christ is as obviously destitute as Mary was, but some are. S some need a rescue from some personal calamity. Take Earl, for example. Earl comes to Christ Community Church, but... When Earl first came to Christ, he was a, a young adult, married, couple of preschool kids, but he was still into a party life. And one night after partying, partying with friends, he was on his way home with a couple of buds in the car, and the police pulled him over. There was marijuana and other drugs in the car, so they took him and threw him in jail. This was not Earl's first experience with jail. He'd been there seven or eight times previously. But that night in his jail cell, he was pretty worked up, pretty animated. And so he paced back and forth, and he did some push-ups. He played some cards, and nothing calmed him down till he saw a copy of Gideon's Bible that somebody had left, and he opened it up, and he began to read, and a, a sort of peace enveloped him. But he quickly gave up reading, and he closed the Bible, and he threw it against the wall of the jail, and got up and paced some more, and did some more push-ups, and played some more cards, and nothing settled him down. And he looked at the Bible across the jail cell, walked across, he picked it up, he started reading, and this time he was captivated by its story. He read about God's love for him, and he began to pour out his heart to God, confessing his sins. What a mess he'd made of his life. Surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. 
Well, the next day his wife came for a visit and Earl couldn't wait to tell his wife how he'd surrendered to Christ the night before and he told her this and then he said, you know, here are all the things I just need to confess to you as I've confessed to God and he confessed what a mess he'd made of life and marriage and so on. And the the conversation ended because his time with her, uh, you know, the prison official said time to go and she left and the next day she came to pick him up. She picked him up to take him home and they stopped at a park on the way home. They just wanted to talk before engaging with the children. And she reached into her purse and she pulled out a list of things she wanted to confess to him, uh, she said. And, and, and he, he thought the list sounded awfully familiar, the very same things he had confessed to her. And he said, what, what did you go home and write down a list of everything I said to you yesterday? And she said, no, this is not your list. This is my list. And I didn't write it down yesterday. I actually wrote it down the day before I saw you in jail when I surrendered my life to Jesus, and this is what I have to confess to you. And now that's a, that's a twofer rescue, right? That's a double rescue. And the reason I tell you the story is maybe you like Earl and his wife, maybe you need a rescue today. Maybe like Mary Magdalene, you, you need a rescue. Maybe you're at a dark time in your life. Maybe you're in a dark time because you're out of work, or you've just lost somebody you love. Maybe you're in a dark time because of a breakup with a boyfriend, a fiance. Maybe you're in a dark time because of suicidal thoughts, or you're a parent with a wayward child, or there's this nagging character flaw you can't get rid of, or there's an addiction to pornography, or you know, whatever. Jesus can rescue you from your darkness. Jesus knows your name. And he's just waiting for you to surrender to him. Now, there's, there's something I need to warn you about. If you call out to Jesus for rescue, you can't stop there. Because Jesus wants to be more than just your rescuer. See, Mary had been rescued by Jesus in the past. But here on Easter, the first Easter, she's just as dark as she's ever been, standing outside his tomb, weeping her eyes out. In fact, as you read the account, you'll note three times John tells us she was weeping. She was crying uncontrollably, back in a dark place. Sometimes people come to Jesus for rescue, but just as soon as God saves them, pulls them out of their trouble, they slide right back into darkness. And that's because it's not enough to embrace Jesus as a rescuer from life's problems. It's not enough to have a relationship with Jesus where the only communication you engage in is calling out for another bailout. See, Jesus, my rescuer, is a great place to start. If you're there today, it's a great place to start. Call out to him for rescue. But don't stop there. He wants the relationship to go further. Second aspect of Mary's relationship with Jesus, she saw Jesus as my shepherd, my shepherd. Pick up the story where we left off. Okay, two angels in Jesus' empty tomb, Mary's crying. She repeats to them what she had told Peter and John. Somebody's taken Jesus' body, and I don't know where they've put him. We pick it up in verse 14, and at this she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, 
which means teacher. Okay, when Jesus first speaks to Mary, she, she doesn't recognize him. Why not? Best friends. Well, possibly it's because she's crying so hard she can't see through her tears. You've had that experience. Can't focus. Or maybe it's because Jesus in his post-resurrection body looks a little different. His glorified body, it's the same Jesus, but maybe there's just enough difference where there's not a recognition here. Whatever the reason, Mary mistakes Jesus for the cemetery gardener until, until what? What does Jesus do that causes the lights to go on, that causes Mary to recognize him? Call it out. What does Jesus do? Yeah, he calls her by name. And the minute she hears her name, Mary recognizes that voice. Dale Carnegie has written one of the best-selling books of all time, How to Win Friends and Influence People. If you're in sales, you probably read the book at some point. He wrote it back in 1936 when he was a popular motivational speaker. Since then, it's sold over 30 million copies, multiple languages. And one of the principles Dale Carnegie teaches, if you want to win friends, if you want to influence people, Carnegie says, learn their names and use their names because there is no sweeter sound in a human's ear than the sound of their own name. Jesus obviously knew and practiced this principle long before Dale Carnegie. We, we see it in today's story where Mary's life is transformed the minute Jesus calls her by name. Now, 10 chapters earlier in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, Jesus explains why his knowing our names is so important. Jesus describes himself in John chapter 10 as being the good shepherd. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says in John 10 about his role as the good shepherd. This is verses 3 and 4 of John 10. He says, the sheep listen to the good shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out and his sheep follow him because they know his name. Let me give you a little background to the picture that Jesus is painting in John John chapter 10. In the ancient Near East, a shepherd would often graze his sheep with other flocks of sheep. Okay, everybody would find the common patch of ground where there was grass growing and they would all bring their sheep. So their sheep would intermingle. There might be four, five, six flocks of, her, uh, or, or flocks of sheep all gathered together and several shepherds standing around talking. But when it was time for a particular shepherd to leave, how did he separate his sheep from the rest of the sheep? Well, he had a special call or a special whistle, and all he had to do was call that special call, and his sheep recognized his voice and followed him wherever he went. See, the other sheep didn't recognize the call or the whistle, so they didn't follow him, but his sheep knew the sound of his voice. If Jesus is your shepherd, you know, that means at some point in time you have responded to his call. At some point in time, you chose to follow him. You surrendered your life to him. Now, if if you haven't responded to Jesus' call, if you haven't surrendered, then Jesus is not yet your shepherd. And I want to tell you why it's so important to make Jesus your shepherd. In that same 10th chapter of John, Jesus goes on to say a few verses further down. Verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And I lay down my life for my sheep. 
I lay down my life for my sheep. I probably don't have to explain this to you, but the most important job of the ancient shepherd was to protect his sheep from predators, to protect his sheep from the wild animals who would otherwise attack and kill and devour the sheep. And on occasion, there are stories of a shepherd actually dying trying to save his sheep. Jesus says in John 10, that's exactly what he plans to do for his sheep. He's going to lay down his life for them, which Jesus eventually does on Good Friday when he dies upon the cross. Jesus died to save his sheep. Let me explain what's going on here, friends. The Bible says that we're all sinners who've wandered away from a holy God. In fact, we push this God away. We, we go our way instead of God's way, countless times in every day. We, we make decisions. God says, don't do this, and we do it anyway. God says, this is what I really want you to do, and we neglect to do it. We ignore his call. And, and when you disconnect from God like that, God is the giver of life. He's the source of life. Disconnecting from God is deadly, leads to death. The Bible says the death begins with spiritual death. We, we all die on the inside. Our relationship with God is broken, every one of us. The wages of sin is death, Scripture says, begins with the spiritual death. And that then leads to physical death at the end of this life. And if we don't find a remedy for this problem, that becomes eternal death in the world to come. So the predator is death. The predator is after every single one of us. And we are doomed unless, unless we've got a shepherd who's willing to intervene. Unless we've got a shepherd who's willing to put himself in harm's way. Unless we've got a shepherd who's willing to stand between the predator death and us. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross, friends. Death bared its fangs, and then instead of sinking those fangs into us, death sank its fangs into Jesus. Jesus took the death we deserve to die. And when he was raised from the dead that first Easter, he was raised with the power to now offer forgiveness, offer forgiveness from those sins that lead to death, and offer brand new life, new life that begins the moment a person surrenders to Christ. The moment you surrender to Jesus, the new life begins and it carries on into eternity. And Jesus wants to be your shepherd. And Jesus calls out your name. And Jesus says, follow me. H have you ever surrendered to Jesus as your shepherd? D do you know that Jesus has taken the death you deserve to die? That he's raised back to life? Has he given you new life? You know, before our service is out today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the shepherd's voice, to say, yes, I hear you call my name. I want to surrender to you. Here's a third aspect of Mary's relationship with Jesus. My teacher, my teacher. Let's go back to John chapter 20. As Jesus calls Mary by name, Mary's response, verse 16, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So Mary's response, she hears her name, and she calls Jesus Rabboni, which is a heightened form of rabbi. A rabbi in the ancient Jewish world, as, as well as today, was a highly honored teacher. 
You know, very special teacher, though. You not only listened to this teacher, you actually did what the teacher told you to do. So they didn't offer teaching for you to take or leave. No, they were your mentor. They were your life coach. You know, if they were your rabbi, it meant that their teaching was shaping your life, your character, your behavior. Interestingly, rabbi or teacher is one of the most common titles that Jesus' followers use of him in the Gospel of John. And everywhere that Jesus goes and crowds gather, the first thing he does, he begins to teach them, and the people are amazed at his teaching. They say, you know, this is more powerful, this is more authoritative, more wise, more gripping than any other teaching we've ever heard. Here at Christ Community Church, many people have found that to be true. You know, and that once we surrender our lives to Jesus, one of the most significant roles he plays in our lives is that of teacher, rabbi. Jesus' word contained in the Bible is profoundly shaping our lives. You know, those of us who have found Jesus to be our teacher, we can say this teaching is so countercultural. You know, it cuts across the grain of what our peers uh, tell us. It's so counterintuitive. It's, it's not like anything we would think to do. It's oftentimes the exact opposite of what we would think. Let me give you an example. You know, money. Jesus had a lot to say about money and personal wealth. In fact, a third of Jesus' parables had to do with that topic. It's a central issue in all of our lives. If we listen to advertising, if we listen to peer pressure, they tell us, make as much money as possible and then spend it on yourself and your family and you'll be a happy camper. Jesus comes along and instead he promotes the practice of generosity. He says, no, don't spend it on yourself. In fact, control your spending so that you have money to give away, so you have money to give to meet the spiritual, the physical needs of of other people. Jesus calls this in his famous Sermon on the Mount, he calls it storing up treasure for yourself in heaven. It's radical teaching. It's counter-cultural teaching. A couple of months ago, I taught on the topic of generosity as Jesus teaches generosity. And at the end of the message, I challenged people. I said, become a generous person. Start giving to the Lord's work and see what God does. Because according to Scripture, according to what Jesus says, God's going to bless your life as a result of generosity. Well, one woman wrote me a couple of weeks ago. So... A couple months ago, I preached it. A couple of weeks ago, I got this letter from a, a single middle-aged woman. And she said, I just wanted to share a few recent blessings. You know, I had said, God will bless you if you're generous, following your encouragement of sharing our God-given money for the work of Christ's kingdom. I've tested your challenge. By the way, I love it when people do that. When I teach something and people say, I'm going I'm to put that into practice, see if it works. So she says, I tested your challenge to give with a heart of giving and anticipate God's blessings. What happened? Well, God blessed me with the perfect apartment in town at a price that's unheard of. He increased my professional opportunities and earnings, as well as dramatically improved a medical condition I suffered from for the past 20 years. God is so good. Thank you so much for your recent message on giving. I needed a refresher. I wanted to tell her, you know, you you realize, of course, this generosity thing is not my idea. I got it from Jesus' countercultural teaching. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus, and has he become your teacher? Has he become your your rabbi? Are, Are you getting to know his word and applying it to your life? Around Christ Community Church, we're big on the Bible. 
You know, we recommend that everybody read the Bible on a daily basis. In fact, we, we put together what we call a Bible-savvy reading schedule that'll take you through the entire Bible, just reading five, seven minutes a day. And we've got this schedule in print. You could pick it up at Resource, our bookshop, at any of our campuses. You, you can download it from that phone app, that CCC phone app. And we even put together a journal, spiral-bound journal you could purchase and you could write down an insight or two every day as you read God's Word. And then we encourage you to get in a group, a small group. We call them community groups, 300 and some community groups around Christ Community Church, couples groups, men's groups, women's groups, singles groups, groups for middle school and high school students where you get together with six, eight, ten people every week and you, you talk about what you're learning from Scripture and you apply it to your life. You know, my group of guys, seven guys, we get up early every Wednesday morning before work and meet at a local coffee shop and God speaks to us through his word. Jesus is our teacher, our rabbi. And this is why we encourage you to make a regular habit of, of coming back on weekends where we drill down into a passage of Scripture every week like what we're doing with John 20 right now. Next weekend, we start this new workplace series called More Than a Paycheck. We're going to teach what the Bible says about you and your work life. So come on back next week. Jesus is our teacher, our rabbi. Is he your teacher? Is he your teacher? Here's a fourth aspect of Mary's relationship with Jesus. My God. My God. Let me read the closing verses of the story to you. Verse 17, Jesus said, don't hold on to me, Mary. You could just imagine Mary clutching him tightly. For I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he, he had said these things to her. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, eating breakfast out by myself, local restaurant, doing some journaling. And I couldn't help hearing the conversation between a couple of women at the table next to me. Uh, I don't normally eavesdrop on others' conversations, except when I need illustrations for Easter sermons. But, uh, <laughs> You know, they were, they were talking kind of loud, and I was captivated by the topic of their conversation. They were talking about death and the afterlife. And it was obviously uh, obvious that one of their, their dads had just passed away, and that's what had sparked the conversation. And I was, I was amazed at the amount of imaginative speculation going on, just ideas about what they thought death and the afterlife are, you know, are all about, what they're going to be like. For, for, for example... Uh, you know, the one whose dad had died, she said, you know, shortly before my, my father passed away, uh, he called out the name of his brother. Now, she said, my uncle's been dead for a number of years, but here's what I think happened. I, you know, I think that, that my uncle came from the other world to be a spirit escort to take my father across the line. And I'm thinking to myself, where do you get this stuff? See, now, friend, you, friends, you could believe whatever you want to believe about death and the afterlife. Just understand that believing it doesn't make it true. Okay, you, you could end up believing all sorts of nonsense. Now, some of you might be objecting. You might be saying, but isn't this exactly what Christians do? You know, they celebrate this, this weekend, rising from the dead, the, the founder of their religion. Really, a guy's dead for three days and he comes back to life? You want to talk about speculation? You want to talk about crazy ideas? But, but here's the amazing thing about Jesus. There's actually solid evidence for his resurrection. 
See, whenever we test the credibility of an historical event, what do we look for? What's the evidence? Okay, it's not like scientific evidence. When you're testing the credibility of an historical event, what you're looking for is eyewitness testimony. Did anybody see this thing happen? And, and how many somebodies saw it happen? Is it, is it just kind of like one flaky person says they saw something, or did a lot of people see it? So let's apply this to the resurrected Jesus. Anybody see Jesus after he reportedly came back from the dead? Well, the Apostle Paul, writing just 20 years after the event, in his epistle of 1 Corinthians, Paul says that he knows of over 500 people who had seen Jesus alive after his crucifixion. Over 500 people, and Paul says, by the way, many of them saw Jesus in groups. So this wasn't the case of individual hallucinating going on. One of the people who saw the resurrected Jesus is the focus of today's Easter story in John, 10, uh, John 20, Mary Magdalene. In fact, Mary was the very first person who saw Jesus back from the dead, and Bible scholars say that's good reason to believe the resurrection story. Why is it good reason? We need to understand something about first century Jewish culture. In first century Jewish culture, the, the testimony of a woman was not acceptable. You can't believe women. You know, they were not trusted. They could not be a witness in a court case. And so if John were making up the story about Jesus' resurrection, he, he certainly wouldn't make the star witness, the first person to see Jesus, a woman. He would have chosen a guy to write into the story. So the fact that John portrays Mary as the very first person who saw Jesus alive is because Mary was the very first person who saw Jesus alive. The story has a ring of truth about it. And, and what does Jesus' resurrection tell us about Jesus' identity? Well, friends, what kind of a person dies and then comes back to life several days later? A supernatural person? A supernatural person. Please note what Jesus says about himself in the second half of verse 17. He tells Mary to spread the word among his followers. And this next line, you, you probably thought it was odd when I read it to you. He says he's going to ascend to my father and your father, to my God and your God. What's going on here? And Jesus is obviously alluding to the fact that he, he has a different relationship with God the Father than other people do. How is that? Well, earlier in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus is speaking to a group of people, and he says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, you think about what an outrageous claim that is, friends. If you, if you have a hard time imagining how outrageous it is, then just imagine it coming from my lips. Hey, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Jesus claims equality with God the Father, and that's because Jesus is God the Son. And Mary was just starting to realize that this first Easter morning, that her best friend was also her God. Her best friend was God come in the flesh. And that made her best friend Jesus deserving of her deepest devotion. It made Jesus deserving of her passionate worship. It made Jesus worthy of her faithful service. Can you say that of Jesus today? Jesus is my God. 
Jesus gets first place in my life. When I'm looking for happiness or satisfaction, I look for it in Christ. When I'm looking for security in a world where there's a lot of insecurity, I look for it in Christ. When I'm looking for mission or significance or purpose in life, I look for it in Christ. Is Jesus your God? You know, Jesus knows your name. Now, Jesus is calling your name today. Jesus is saying, Katie, follow me. Jason, follow me. Michael, follow me. Emma, follow me. Have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus and chosen to follow him? Has he become your shepherd? Have you recognized his voice and responded? Are you following him? I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. I'm going to ask you to bow in prayer with me across our, our four campuses. And if you're watching online as well, would you just bow in a word of prayer with me? You know, I believe that when you hear a sermon like this, Jesus knows your name. If something happens on the inside that God's spirit works in such a way that you have a sense, yeah, Jesus is calling me. And if you've never responded and said yes to him, I want to encourage you to do that right now, to pray from your heart something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner whose sin has separated me from a holy God. And I understand from the Bible that the wages of sin is death. That because I have gone my way instead of your way, because I've disconnected from the source of life, what I deserve is death. Can you say that humbly before God? Because there's no relationship with Jesus apart from a humble recognition of your own sin. If you're still justifying yourself, if you're still rationalizing your sin, if you're still looking around and saying, but I'm no worse than anybody else, then a relationship with Jesus is just going to be impossible. So can you humbly from your heart right now say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. But then acknowledge what he did for you. Thank him. Say, I understand that your death on the cross was for me. I understand that you're the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, and I want to be one of those sheep. Can you tell him that from your heart? This is new territory for, for many of you as you listen to me right now. You've, you've never done this. You've never said, yeah, I want to be one of your sheep. I understand what you did on the cross was for me, that the fangs of death were sunk in your neck rather than mine. And now acknowledge, if you would, that Jesus rose from the dead and he's holding out the gift of forgiveness. Can you almost picture in your mind Jesus holding out this gift? It's forgiveness. It's new life. He wants to give it to you, but you've got to take it in your hands right now. If you've never done this before, would you reach out and say, yeah, Jesus, I want the forgiveness and the new life that you offer. Now, before you take the gift, remember what you're saying what you're saying is that the new life of following him, you want him to be your shepherd. You want to learn what it means for, for him to lead you, to be your teacher, your rabbi. Are you willing to say that right now, this Easter, 2018? Some of you just surrendered your life to Christ. In your heart of hearts, right now, that's what you did. You said, Jesus this is my prayer. I want you to be my shepherd. And I'm going to ask you to do something. If you just surrendered to Christ, I want you to do something physically 
that will help you remember your decisions. So tomorrow when you get up, you'll say, yep, that's what I did. Easter 2018, I surrendered to Christ. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet for one second and then sit back down. Okay, just your, your physical demonstration that I've chosen Jesus to be my shepherd. Up in the balcony, on the main floor in St. Charles, at our other campuses, if you've surrendered to Christ in the last few minutes here in prayer, just stand up for one second, sit back down. Okay, Blackberry Creek, in DeKalb, just stand up for one second, sit back down. Our other campuses, if you're watching online right now and you're sitting in your easy chair, just stand up for a second and sit back down. Just a physical representation, I'm surrendering to Christ today. Would you do that? God, I want to pray for those who've made that decision to surrender to Christ at some point in the past, but like Mary Magdalene, they're in a dark time for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe some fault of theirs, they have wandered away. Uh, maybe God, just life's circumstances have been piling up. Life's been miserable. And what they need today is to hear you call their name. And I pray that in the quietness of our hearts right now, if Jesus is our shepherd, that we would hear him say our name and it would be all the affirmation we need. We pray in his name. Amen.